I'm in there at seven. I set up my computer, set up the music. Um, and what music do you listen to? It varies. So we vary from 80s disco. Uh, it's 80s. Or maybe it's eight, maybe it's 70s disco and 80s gay pride. <laughs> Hey ReFam, my name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast that invites you inside the operating theatre. Today we're doing a solo episode with Dr Richard Bloom as he takes us through his typical operating day, from the crucial double espresso at 5am to how exactly he breaks up the super long surgeries and even the most common question he gets asked by the family is once a patient's been wheeled to recovery. If you've ever wondered what's going on while you're under general anaesthetic, you're about to find out. So today, uh, I think a big thing that we try to do with this podcast is demystify um, the process of surgery. I know for surgeons like yourself and me, um, (laughs) it's, you know, you can kind of forget, take for granted how just like every day and... uh, every day the process is and how it's like you know not scary or daunting I hope for you um Mm. on the other side of the scalpel but obviously for people that don't spend a lot of time in hospitals it can be a really really daunting process so today we're truly just going to go through a day in the life of typically what you kind of do how you approach surgery what happens for you and patients and uh, just what that looks like to make it a little less scary. Bring it on. Can't wait. All righty. So typically if you're um, – I know obviously you have consulting days and theatre days. How does a typical theatre day start? Well, um, as many of our followers would know, my typical day has somewhat changed in recent weeks. So I'm now getting up around five because I need to spend an hour or so with Lucia. That hour. sounds like <laughs> what time you always got up. <laughs> no, I used to get up at 5.30. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to spend an hour with Lucia doing training, playing, feeding. Lucia to qualify as his puppy, not his wife. <laughs> <laughs> An Italian water dog, Lucado. Yes. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. But uh, So my days are starting a little bit earlier than normal. But I'm a morning person, so that's fine. So um, always start with a, a, a double shot um, uh, espresso. Um, there's no other way to really start the day. Uh, and then usually get to the hospital around 7. So... I really like getting to the hospital early. I like being organised. I don't like being rushed. Uh, there's always a stack of things that I've got to, you know, get ready for and uh, there's emails I've got to respond to and I don't want that interrupting my, my day. So I like to start when I'm operating, you know, with a clean slate um, because I want to be really focused on, obviously, the operation at hand. So I'm in there at seven. I set up my computer, set up the music um, and what music do you listen to? It varies. So we vary from 80s disco uh, to... Not a common decade for disco, the 80s. Uh, it's 80s. Oh, maybe it's eight, maybe it's 70s disco and 80s gay pride. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a bit of Australian rock thrown in and yeah, then, nice. you know, a few classics. Violent Femmes, Triffids, Cure... Oh. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Um, I like to mix it up. Then there's the Bloom running mix. Yeah. That sometimes comes into play. Yeah. Uh, Your so. hype mix. 
The Witch. Is it a hype mix? No, it's oh. pretty much just a mix of 70s, 80s. Yeah, right. <laughs> Australian <laughs> rock. It's all those different playlists blended into one playlist. Gotcha, gotcha. That's called a running playlist. Gotcha. Um, uh, so set all of that up and then usually sort of by 20 past seven, the patient has arrived and been – first patient's arrived and been admitted and then uh, I go around to mark them. So at this stage, anaesthetists – Often not quite there yet. Nurses are there setting up. But, you know, I also like to be on hand for them because they're setting everything up and they've often got, got questions and they're maybe not sure if I need whatever liposuction or a certain suture. So I can get all of those things out of the way and then they're, they're not sort of coming up five minutes before we start an operation. So, you know, if something needs to go and, and, and get sourced from another part of the hospital – then they can go and get it and we're not sort of rushing at the last minute as the patient's coming into theatre because you want everything super calm and um, relaxed at that point. So as you go around, uh, you talk about rituals. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when I'm operating, at, and this is really at both Epworth Hawthorne and, and um, Vermont and even Epworth Richmond to a certain degree, I've got my room that I like to mark the patient up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's reasons for it. So if you just – Epworth Hawthorne, there's a corridor and there's a room on the left and a room on the right. And the room on the right, the bed – this sounds – I know this will make me sound freaky, but the bed, <laughs> we, uh, how much more freaky can I sound? <laughs> the bed on the right uh, is up against the wall so the patient's left-hand side is against the wall and so I'm standing on the patient's – right-hand side, whereas the room on the other side is orientated the opposite way. And just for me drawing on a patient, that just is a more natural position. Otherwise, right. it'd kind of be back to front. Mm-hmm. So when I started working there, I said, listen, just – and also, like, I don't want to walk into a room and have the – not in the right patient. So my patient is always in the same room. <laughs> I don't think that sounds that insane. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so it's a more comfortable room for me to mark up in. And so the markup – you know, that's usually pretty exciting, anxious time for a patient because it's getting really real at that point. Um, so so the first patient, so their surgery would be like 8 a.m. and so yep. they're arriving at 7.20? Uh, I think 7. I think yeah. 7. So they okay. go through an admission process where they do the sort of final paperwork mm-hmm. um, and then they get taken around into the what's called the holding bay uh, and they're usually under a warm, warm blanket because um, – uh, Staying warm during a long, long, particular longer operation is really important. So we like to pre-warm them. Yep. So not pre-warm them, pre-warm <laughs> them. They're already pre-warned. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you know if they go into the operating room, which is a bit cooler, um, then and they're already cold, then they'll they'll lose a lot of temperature very quickly. So we like them to be quite warm. And, and also, is this? I'm not sure if. You know this as a patient. But so when they come in, when do they get to don the like very sexy hospital gowns, say bye to everyone? Uh, so by the time I see them, they've mm-hmm. been changed. They're in the sexy gown. They're in the sexy undies. Yep. They've got the sexy socks on. Okay. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So um, so then I, I mark them and, and just use a standard Sharpie pen, um, which I buy in bulk from Officeworks. Standard colour is black. Mm-hmm. Um Red I usually use when I'm doing liposuction areas. Uh, green is if, I don't know, I need something else. 
<laughs> I'm feeling a little uh, spicy there. No, no, no. It had never. Been, I'd never mark an incision in green. I would it, never be spicy. Oh. How dare you? <laughs> uh, so I like to take my time with, and often that's a time where patients might ask you a question. Um, you know, if someone wants photos done in surgery, that's the time to remind me. So hard, hard to me, hard for me to forget from there. Possible, but not. Not likely. If they want like photo, like videos yeah. of you doing the surgery, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so it's a good time to ask for that. Um, there's an occasional selfie at that point, uh, which I kind of like because uh, oh, you it, love. He kind of likes. <laughs> well, you know, he loves it. Loves it. Uh, well, just it just because it's a big occasion, like it, it's a big deal, and I like I'm always respectful of that. And yeah, they're nervous and also excited, and you know they've chosen trusted me to do their surgery, so. Like um, it, 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 I like I, I think it's kind of fun. Um, and what about um? I know a lot of people are quite concerned about the uh, anaesthetist part of the surgery. Will they meet the anaesthetist before yep. they walk yeah, in? Yeah, or? yeah. So after I've done my marking, which any of our patients who who are um listening know, like I just take my time. We just go go through it all. I do use a laser leveler, and there's nothing special about the laser leveler. I got it from Bunnings. Um. And just, but, but that just gives me reassurance that I'm getting things as symmetric as I possibly can. Uh, and then I, um, the patient goes back onto bed, under the blankets, try and get back to be warm. And by that stage, usually the anaesthetist is um, waiting to come in. So you do get to meet the anaesthetist. Um, so they will come in, they'll go through, explain exactly what they're going to do. You can ask them any questions that you want. Uh, there's also an anaesthetic nurse who works with the anaesthetist, who, who will come in and also ask you a million questions. You get a lot of questions just before you go into surgery. Uh, and uh, then, yeah, then you get taken into surgery. Most of our patients walk, walk themselves into surgery, uh, which is a little bit different from other, other hospitals because it depends you know, how far away you're coming from as well. Yeah, and um, when they walk in, what are they kind of greeted by? Like, is there just a yeah, couple of people in the room? Yeah, not quite. Um, it, yeah, it's a bit intimidating because you're, you're in an operating room, so it's getting super real at this point. But there's lots of people. So there's the anaesthetist, there's me, uh, the anaesthetic nurse, the scrub nurse, the scouts, scout scrub, uh, the theatre tech, my assistant. So there's quite a lot of people and everyone's sort of, you know, getting everything ready and um, – some people already the nurse would already be scrubbed usually at that point, uh, and you know you've got to get on back. You've got to get onto the operating table. Uh, so yeah, that that's sort of quite a scary time. Um, but you know everyone's there. You've got to understand everyone's there, just focusing on on you. And they're all very nice. Yeah, actually, you know, we've had like this week uh, for some reason, I, I've had I don't know I had like three patients in a row say um, what a great team we had and how. Know, reassuring everyone was and how they made everyone feel so comfortable. Um, so, yeah, yeah I think they quite are commonly, like, as I said, people are really scared of that anesthetics part, but like the anesthetists are, yeah. we only work with lovely yeah. people who are like yeah. more than willing to answer your questions yeah. and chat to you directly. And they're very, very nice. They are. And, and they also, they, they see it as, as them being part of the, the team as well. So, um, I, I'm quite particular with who I have in my theatre. Um, obviously, you know, um, being, you know, from the anaesthetist through to all the nurses and the theatre techs, 
Um, I think it's really important to have a cohesive team where everyone's working together and focused on the patient. Um, so um, obviously everyone's got to be highly skilled, but uh, it, it's it's important. You've got to it's, you're in theatre for a long time. It's a long day, and so everyone's you know everyone's just got to be there and supporting each other and um, all working towards getting the best possible result for the patient. How long are your so? Little insider, it's called a list. Is yeah. your days of surgery? Uh, so, how long is a typical list? So, um, operating lists are usually divided into a morning list and an afternoon list. Uh, I prefer to do all day lists because I, I just, I just don't like that. I, I just, I, th- I find it much more efficient. Uh, so, a, a typical operating day, I, I usually start around eight a.m. Uh, sometimes a little bit earlier, and it'd be uncommon to be finished before six but can go till seven eight or nine so anywhere between sort of 10 and 12 hours so that's a really big day how is that divided like how many kind of surgeries do you get into each of those lists so it depends very much on what we're doing so if i'm doing breast augmentations you know we might be we could do sort of two or three breast augmentations and then a breast reduction or a tummy tuck. If I'm doing a body lift with a breast reduction, there might be one smaller case, like a maybe a breast org before or a brachioplasty or something smaller, and then and then a bigger case. Uh, so it very much depends on the patient. Mix. How long does a like a mummy makeover? So that's kind of two surgeries and yep. one. How long does that take typically? Uh probably around five hours, yeah. five to six. So I mean, it depends on a breast augmentation or a. Uh, breast reduction, which would take a little bit longer, but um, yeah, five, six hours, something like that. Crazy, yeah, so long. Achieve so why, much. Yeah, yeah, but th- that's why I go to personal training once a week. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know you've mentioned that on the podcast, but yeah. because it is, it's a long day on yeah. your feet, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got you got to physically look after yourself. And uh, it was a few years back now, but I was getting terrible sort of uh, neck and shoulder pain, and so I really focus on my um, core strength. Um, anybody who knows me will know uh, I don't have the be- biggest guns in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you should, if you could stomach. see my psoas. <laughs> I mean, it's very fair considering how much people hurt just from tippy tapping at a computer. So you can imagine yeah. just like the focus and staring down at yeah. at muscle repair. All right, so um, they're in surgery. Yep. Uh, There's a little bit to fill in. So, yeah, yeah. so on the table. Um, now it's not, you know, people think, you know, you see in the movies, you know, count backwards from a hundred. So there's no counting back from a hundred. <laughs> so drip goes in, small needle, usually the back of the hand, little sting. Um, and then the medicine goes through there that puts you off to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a breathing tube put in, uh, and then, then we start, um, positioning the patient and, um, putting in local anesthetic and then we prep with an antiseptic and then cover the patient in drapes. Um, Nice. I'm just thinking about how scared I'd be. (laughs) If you were a patient? Yeah, I'm just thinking about Or the surgeon? Yeah, no, I think I was just thinking because it's like you'd just be like so full of anticipation Mm. and I I think I especially feel that for all of our COVID patients who got cancelled time Mm. and time again. And so it's just been like such a build-up of anticipation and nerves and then walking in and then like seeing all these people and then – just getting like lying down and they're like, okay, like you're all good. And like, it's just like a, such a foreign thing. I was just I was like, oh, well, God, that would be so overwhelming. I think you've just got to have in the back of mind, everyone is there and their only focus is looking after you. Yeah. And you get to sleep through the whole thing. You just wake totally. up and it's done. That's nice. Yeah. 
And that's an interesting point because one of some patients' biggest fear is waking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such – it's so, so – I've never seen it, never heard of any, any of my patients. Um, there are special ways of monitoring patients now to, to know that, uh, that, that that's not happening. So yeah. uh, anybody who's that got that as a fear, uh, you can put that to bed. Okay, so you're in surgery. As we know, you're in there for sometimes a very long time. How do you kind of sequence an operation? Yeah. Uh, so if we're doing anything on the back, we always do that first. Oh, okay. So that means we reposition the patient onto their tummy. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm doing back lipo or a body lift and doing the back, that's always done first. Is there a reason for that? Uh, yeah, because usually if you're doing something on the on the back – well, firstly, that's a more difficult position, so it's easier okay. to sort of start that way. Mm-hmm. But if I'm doing a tummy tuck and I've got to flex the patient at the hips, if I then flip them and have them on their tummy, you can't maintain that position. So yeah, right. put too much tension on the abdominal wound. Okay. Uh, so you should do back first. Uh, it'd be I, like I can't think of a situation where you wouldn't. Then if I'm doing a mummy makeover, I do – the breast work next, whether it's an augmentation or um, a reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and all, before that, if there's any liposuction I'm doing on the front, I do that first. Then I do the breast, and the reason again for that is if I'm doing a tummy, I've got to flex at the hips, and then the patient's sort of sitting up more, so it's not sort of the position I want them to be in when I'm operating on the breast. Yeah. Uh, so once the breasts are finished, then move on and do tummy um, with a tummy uh essentially cut the around the belly button first then cut the skin out um or actually cut the lower incision of the skin and then i lift up all of the tummy skin off the uh muscle wall all the way up to the rib cage and then i've got my marking of where i want to cut the skin off but i also want to make sure i'm cutting out the most that i can and where my marking is usually sort of pretty aggressive what i think is going to be the most and but um, so I've lifted all the skin up. So imagine like your bed sheet, and you've lifted it all, untucked the corners, lifted it all up, and you're pulling it, pulling it down. And I get the the anesthetist to actually flex the bed. So by flex, you mean like bend when bend at the hips? Yep. So like it's it's kind of broken in half, and yep. like uh, it's kind of like a, a recliner bed. chair going Correct. from lying down to sitting up. Yeah, but the legs are coming up as well. Yeah. So the the top half is coming up, and the bottom half is coming up. So it's like a V. The bed bed becomes like a V, uh, and so I actually uh, uh, grab the lower incision and I I pull that up as high as I can. I pull the upper incision over the top of it like a double breasted jacket, and I sort of does that make sense? Say it again. So I pull sort of from the lower incision, so the mons. I pull that up to where that's going to be. And then the upper skin that I've lifted, yep. I pull that down over the top of that and then I know sort of where the, the, the lower incision is on that upper flap. Oh, okay, to make sure that you're never, you've never run out of skin. Correct. Okay. Um, and so, so sometimes um, I need to back it off a little bit. Like where I plan to do it is, is going to be way too tight. Um, and I think all my anesthetists sort of know – to not give me the maximum amount of flex yeah, <laughs> because right. when I go to stitch, I always go, can I have a little bit more flexion? This is a little bit tight. Yeah. And so they go, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we cut off that skin, then do the muscle repair. 
put local anesthetic into the muscle? Yeah, so that's just to answer. I think quite a common question we get yeah. actually is yeah. have Did you I ever gloss over something? No, no, no. Just like, have you ever run out of skin? Whatever. Yeah. And so your way of safeguarding, because look, it's not like an outrageous question. No, it's a good question. And especially um, with the uh, women we have in who've had, uh, you know, muscle, they need muscle repair because they've had children. Yeah. But they're super, super low BMI and we've shared some of those on our Instagram. And, you know, they really have to break because their skin hasn't stretched it at yeah. all because they are, again, at really low BMI. So um, it's not an insane question to be like, no. have you ever, like, there's been times where it's been close. Yeah. But um, it's like, that again, that's not something you ever have to worry about because, like, there's... I promise we're doing safeguards. <laughs> yeah. No, so <laughs> that's exactly sure. what this is. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I do a test sort of closure to see uh, – to make sure that, that it's not going to be too tight. And so once I've I've done that, do the muscle repair, uh, then I then do close the skin uh, temporarily so I can sight the belly button and then I make the opening for the belly button, uh, pull the belly button through and then, and then we get – down and um, close the skin. Firstly, the deeper layers, and then the then the skin. Is there a technique to your belly button creation? There, there is, and um, sort of like uh, so. I do it as an an upside down V, mm-hmm. so uh, which gives a nice hooding at the top of the belly button, and the V part uh, then is inset into the belly button, so you get a nice sort of slope up into into the depths of the belly button, which I think the belly button creation, I don't think most surgeons spend a lot of time. Like you see some horrible round, big round circles, which are not yeah, ideal. Yeah, I look very, very common comment we get is that you were chosen because of the belly button. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Fun fact. Oh. I, lo- I lurk the socials. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so let's say you've done the surgery. Uh, everybody's feeling good and blessed. Ha- what happens after that was kind of the process for the patient? What's the process? For you? Like, do you give more directions to staff? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we put the dressings on. Usually there's a garment to go on as well. Uh, and then... Like a compression garment. Compression garment, yep. And then patient will wake up. You won't realise, you know, you won't remember where you've woken up. Most people just remember waking up in recovery, but mm-hmm. they're actually awake in the theatre. Oh, fascinating. And you go around to recovery... And there, there are nurses there at, who are then looking after you. And then I would generally come out and see you in recovery. Again, most people don't quite remember that, <laughs> um, but I do. And I, and, um, I do in that uh, when you've gone round to recovery, I'll call your whoever you've nominated for me to call to let them know everything's gone well. Um, most common question, mm-hmm. gee, that took longer than we expected. <laughs> Question. <laughs> like, like, but like, I feel being judged. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah. You th- I'm slow. I wasn't slow. Oh, I, I promised two hours. <laughs> I, I never. I, I don't know how to answer because I like. It's just. It, yeah. Because. Well, do you want me to rush? Time takes so much longer when you're stressed. Yeah. Right? Like I get like that. Staring I get at that. the phone. No, it's very like the other thing. Um, you know, the, you can hear the relief in in the uh, whoever it is voice. They say, "Oh, you know." I'm so glad you rang. Like I was, you know, yeah. we're really starting to worry. Generally, there's nothing to to worry about. If there was actually something to worry about, we would have rung you earlier during the 
phase to worry. But um, yeah, the operations take hell, however long they take. There's the, you don't want me rushing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> safe to say. Um, but yeah, I always call and you know, um, Lauren. Um, I've got a, a, my special cheat sheet, which has you know whoever's the next of kin, because the hospital often has who's picking them up, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily the person who they want me to call. Yeah. yeah. So um, whoever's had their pre-surgery consult here knows that you know we collect the data of the the name of who you want me to call. Sometimes it's the same, but um, not always. Not the Uber driver. Not the yeah, <laughs> not the Uber driver exactly. No, you can't get picked up by an Uber after a surgery. <laughs> Jokes aside, I Jokes. really do need to stress that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I always call because I, I I do appreciate that um, there are loved ones who are sitting at home watching the clock. Yeah, and uh, it's it's always nice to know that um, everything's gone well. And then in kind of, so patients being wheeled out, what's kind of happening in the operating theatre after they've left? Yeah, we're cleaning the operating. It's like a, a turnover at uh, the airport. So the, mm-hmm. the, the theatre's being cleaned, um, setting up for the next case. Uh, there's no sort of down, much downtime in between. Uh, the nursing staff work and the, and the theatre tech work bloody hard. Like as soon as that patient is out, uh, we're already getting ready for the next case. Um, everyone always asks about breaks. So I don't really – I don't break. <laughs> it's, it's sort of a – Never, never heard of it. Running joke, sort of, are you taking a break? Will you be taking a break down? And everyone just laughs. Um, there's plenty of sort of downtime in between cases from my point of view because I'm not yeah. clean, cleaning the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't know these guys are complaining about. There's yeah. <laughs> heaps of time. Um, so – uh, yeah, so we're turning it around and getting ready and then uh, I'll go out and while they're doing all that, I'll start marking the next patient mm-hmm. and and then it all starts again. Um, and one of the nice things about operating in a smaller hospital is that the ward is usually, is generally sort of is very close to where the operating theatre is. So mm-hmm. I'll often then, you know, pop around to the ward. I like to see all the patients before I go home. Um, but it's not uncommon for me to sort of, uh, pop around and, and see patients, you know, once or twice whilst they're in the ward. Yeah. Um, and um, and then, you know, I'm often operating the same hospital two days in a row, so I get the same thing the next day. I'll just, you know, pop around and see. It's interesting to see how patients are progressing and making sure everything's on track. Yeah, it's not unusual to do morning rounds, night rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, well, the morning round, yeah, obviously is... Classically, in the morning. Mm, um, that's what they say. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, if it's the day two of my operating, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll fit that in before, usually before I've marked the patient. So, set up set up the music, set up the computer, answer the emails, ward round, mark the patient. And about town. Yeah. Um, okay. So, surgery is done, however yeah. long uh, it's been. What's your kind of typical day after like how do you sign out for the day and then go home and like what's your kind of decompressing well sign out is um is an interesting thing and it sort of brings up another point is which is the the checklist which i know we've talked about before but it's very much like uh, on a on an airplane in the cockpit so we do it there's a checklist so hospitals have have their own checklist and then i've got my own checklist on shocking to everybody top of the checklist uh, and that's just to make sure, you know, that the right 
right patient, doing the right operation, that the consent sign, make sure there's no alerts or allergies. I discuss what the plan is for that operation so that everyone in the theatre knows, you know, we're going to start off on, on their tummy, then we'll move on to their back and we'll be doing liposuction and just explain exactly what it is that, that's happening so there's no surprises and everyone's ready for everything. But there's the same process at the end. So to go to go through and make sure that, that there's a – what's called a count mm-hmm. um, where the nursing staff count all of the instruments, the needles, the blades, uh, all the, the um, uh, packs, the gauze to make sure nothing's been left in the patient. Yeah. Uh, I've never had that. Um, it's not a checklist. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> it's interesting because, you know, the, invariably the count – from time to time is wrong mm-hmm. and so everything sort of has to stop until you find the missing gauze or needle or whatever it is that's missing but yeah there's a there's a official count count sheet so tick tick that off any discuss any post-operative instructions and and then the patient goes um off to recovery nice and then when you go home what's yeah. your day look like well again now lucia uh is the first uh, stop so mm-hmm. Uh, Poor Jamie. I know. <laughs> Just Jamie's our older cavoodle who still gets a lot of love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I've mentioned before, I, I do like to decompress. Like, I, I kind of just need like 10 or 15 minutes um, where I, I may have a whiskey. <laughs> uh, and I, I just like to sit sort of in just in a room on my own and uh, I usually read you know, read, catch up on the news and I'll just read the uh, latest updates. Um, just, a, just a way of me to decompress and um, then I can come out and have normal conversations. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that first 15 minutes or so when I get home, it's sort of, uh, you just, it just takes a, a few, like just that amount of time to, you know, shut off that part of the day and then sort of uh, engage back in uh, – Home life. Yeah. Fair. Mm. Well, there you go, guys. Day in the life of a surgeon. Yeah. Well, this surgeon uh, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, probably not exactly the same as everyone else. But um, uh, the other thing I think, you know, people probably don't don't realise is I, my phone is always on mm. as well. So particularly when I've operated, like I don't – like I can't have my phone on silent, uh, you know, it's it's uncommon to be called. Like I probably get called after hours. I don't know maybe once every few months, and very rarely for anything uh, serious. Uh, but yeah, you still know, so you've got it. Like if if the hospital needs you, if they're worried about something or patient needs to be reviewed urgently, you need to be you need to be available. So the the surgery doesn't doesn't just end when I walk out of the, the operating theatres. So it's not like – it's very different to a lot of jobs where, you know, once you clock off, you clock off. Like yeah. I don't really get to clock off. Um, and, you know, to a certain degree, even, you know, when you're on holidays, um, you know, patients can call you from, you know, things happen sort of that worry patients week, days, weeks, months after surgery. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always find it weird that – some of my colleagues, you know, don't give out their numbers or, um, you know, need to be contacted through a paging service or not available at all. 
um, and I can always tell because they're the surgeons who ring me and their their um, phones on um, no caller ID, and I'm like, I just don't, get, I honestly don't understand it. But uh, you know, it, it's it is really a twenty four seven occupation. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.